a playlist original. In summer 2012, the second season of The Glee Project, a show that saw people compete for a role on Ryan Murphy's Glee, premiered, and 17-year-old Jessie's life changed forever. My immediate reaction to seeing competitor Danny Shay in the days when I didn't fully understand the complexities of gender was, God, I hope that's a boy. Hetero and cisnormativity had done a number on me. Danny, who later came out as non-binary transmasculine, did a cover of My Number, leading me to the song's creators, Tegan and Sarah. The results of that were irrefutable. I was queer as heck. And the rest is history. In honour of my queer anniversary, I'm going to be delving into that history to reveal the culture that shaped me and my queer identity, which is still being shaped today. For this episode, I'll focus on music, TV and theatre. So first, let's go back to my roots. In 2003, season two of Fame Academy, I'm sensing a pattern here, was won by Alex Parks, a Cornish lass with a glorious pixie cut, who won my heart. I recall doing a project on her in primary school, presumably for music class, and my friend Bryony saying, you do realise she'd be more interested in you than you are in her, explaining that she was a lesbian. Cut to me sitting on the sofa of my friend Millie's house watching the music video for Bulletproof by yet another pixie crop woman, Ellie Jackson, aka LaRue, six years later. I didn't quite understand the feelings I was having, but I soon would. Musicians were key to developing my understanding of sexuality while growing up. I think where TV and film were a communal activity shared with my parents and friends, Music was something I could experience and process alone, and the visual medium was still there via music videos. I remember watching Tegan and Sarah's back catalogue, hoping I could find some ounce of the confidence that they had to live authentically. And later, once I had mostly come out, videos by the likes of John Arson Weiss and Julian Baker, in whom I found solace, a communion with other LGBTQ plus folk through a screen. I remember seeing LP's video for Into the Wild and feeling so seen. I still go to gigs of queer musicians such as Orla Gartland, Pillow Queens, Hayley Kiyoko, Grace Petrie and Marika Hackman on my own. I guess it makes me feel like a part of some secret extra special club. Discovering yet another queer artist from the early days of Jake Edwards and Vivek Schreier to more recent finds such as Martha and LAX's, still feels like a private victory. Though I do remember, pre-coming out, getting my mum to take me to my first official Tegan and Sarah concert, I'd already seen them once, supporting the killers, and audibly screaming with the rest of the crowd when Tegan took one layer of clothing off, so I suspect my mum may have had an inkling. My relationship to music, especially in terms of how it relates to my sexuality, has, in many ways, been a very solo affair. Just the other day, during a holiday, I spent the evening watching music videos of Lucy Dacus and Cody Frost while my mother lay in bed on the other side of the room. It's an easier, and sadly more discreet, way for me to feel connected to my identity 
than watching out loud and proud TV such as Love, Victor, the sort of show I still have the urge to pause if my parents come into the room. I'm still fairly closeted at home, for reasons I won't bore you with here. One exception to that rule was Glee, which I watched with my mother, even dragging her and my dad to a Glee concert. It was the show that broke open the LGBTQ plus community for me. My enjoyment of it led to me bonding with the first openly bisexual woman I knew, who I met through a mutual friend. I wasn't even aware of the concept of bisexuality at the time. That feels unheard of for young adults these days. And after learning of her sexuality, I remember thinking, I wonder if I'm bisexual, before I had any real cause to wonder. But I think subconsciously I must have always known. She helped me through that first year of being in the closet. There followed my entry into the Darren Chris fandom, which happened to be very queer, and I truly went all in, even performing in a Darren Chris flash mob one snowy day in Trafalgar Square in London, where I met a queer woman who would end up being my housemate at university a few years later. I'd also bond with one of my closest friends over Glee during Freshers' Week, and we'd watch new episodes together. She'd eventually turn out to be, yes, you'd guessed it, bisexual. It's truly the case that if you don't see it, how can you be it? And in the days when LGBTQ plus representation was severely limited, Glee took me out of my straight mould and introduced me to my people, both on the screen, the Santana-Britney relationship was revolutionary, inside the screen, online friends pre-TikTok, and in real life. Speaking of representation, every queer woman remembers their first The L Word watch. It's essentially a foundational text. I watched it during reading week, a break from university which was meant to be used to read, not to watch women who long love lust, etc, etc. Sorry for butchering your theme tune, Betty. But I was studying queer theory at the time, so it counted as research, right? I laughed and cried over Shane's one-night stands, Dana, Dana, Dawn Denbo and her lover Cindy, and Carmen de la Pica Morales, who deserved better. Pam Greer followed me on Twitter, and I still haven't gotten over it. Sure, there were issues. A recent autostraddle long-read interview with Daniela C. shed more light on the problematic aspects of their trans character Max's storyline, which I highly recommend reading. Alice's bisexuality just wasn't a thing after a few seasons, and don't even get me started on the mess that was the season 6 murder mystery. But seeing so many queer women on screen was groundbreaking for me, as I began to feel comfortable truly owning my sexuality in public. Then came Orange is the New Black, another important part of my coming of age. I had my own hashtag by now, a joke among close friends, hashtag favourite lesbians with Jessie, though I think hashtag queer we go approved has a better ring to it these days. And Ruby Rose, who joined the cast in season three, was certainly one of those. The show also introduced me to Natasha Leon, who plays gay a lot, as well as introducing the world to Laverne Cox. And I mean, come on, we're all better off with her on our screens. Not only did it set a new bar for the portrayal of lesbian sex on TV, it also felt like a catalyst in terms of changing the queer pop culture landscape, and it bridged the gap between queer and straight people, as the first show full of queer women that a lot of my straight friends watched. Also, writer Lauren Morelli realising she was in love with actor Samira Wiley while filming was iconic, proving that later in life coming out is as enriching as coming out earlier. More recently, I've enjoyed the non-plus portrayal of sexuality in Schitt's Creek, 
In a small town like that, you'd perhaps expect David's pansexuality to be an issue, but it just isn't. As well as the queerness of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I binged properly during lockdown. The website Everyone is Gay got me through a lot before I came out, and rediscovering one of the founders, Kristen Russo, through her Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, which she hosts with her now ex-wife Jenny Owen Youngs. It's one of my favourite lesbian ex-pairings. It was a blessing. Willow and Tara's was the first lesbian relationship between lead characters on primetime network television. And although I have complicated feelings about a potential missed opportunity for Willow to be represented as bisexual or sexually fluid, I'm still grateful to Buffy for showing me that someone like Willow, who I had a lot in common with as a teenager, bar the whole witchcraft business, could even be queer. Sunnydale's residents are constantly shifting identity, even in adulthood. Be it from teenage boy to werewolf, girl to vampire, evil to relatively good, or seemingly straight to, and I quote, gay now. By the time you'd figured a character out, they were probably already different, and as someone who feels like their identity changes an awful lot, that's huge. When I moved to London, theatre became a similar sort of sanctuary to the one I found in music. But now, instead of shutting myself away, I was living openly, sharing these experiences with a room full of strangers, many of whom I had a community in common with. One of the first shows I saw was Rotterdam by John Britton, about closeted woman Alice and her transitioning partner Adrian, and it blew my mind. So much so that I even travelled all the way to Eastbourne to see it in its fourth iteration in 2019, after watching both its Olivia-winning West End debut and Arts Theatre Transfer. This was made even more exciting by the fact that non-binary actor LJ Parkinson, otherwise known as Drag King Louis Cipher, currently starring in Death Drop at London's Garrick Theatre, was now playing Adrian, and trans actor Elijah W. Harris was playing Adrian's brother Josh. Later, Zoe Cooper's Out of Water and Fun Home, the musical based on Alison Bechdel's graphic novel, both helped me process some of the trauma that came with growing up queer. The former regarding bullying at school. I was called a lesbian before I had any inkling that that statement was about 80% correct. As the play says, kids really can smell the difference on you. And the latter regarding my own relationship with my father. But when it comes to queer joy, very little can match that I feel when watching the musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie. So much so that I think it deserves a podcast episode all of its own. There was also something really powerful and inherently queer about the Donmar Warehouse's all-female Shakespeare trilogy, directed by lesbian Phila Lloyd. But what really stood out to me was Jade Anuka's powerhouse performances as Hotspur, Mark Antony and Ariel. And seeing a bisexual woman continue to kill it as a writer and actor is chef's kiss perfection. Biphobia and the fetishization of bisexuals are fairly pervasive, even within the LGBTQ plus community. I've been accused of being greedy, and I've lost count of how many times I've been asked for threesomes. Jade's most recent work, The Monologue Bees, was filmed with Pearl Mackey, another bicon who played the first openly gay Doctor Who character, for The Old Vic as a continuation of 2017's Queers performances curated by Mark Gattis. It explores the lockdown experience of a black queer woman who chats about the co-opting of the pride flag during the pandemic and finding her future wife on a dating app, but being scared to meet in person in case the isolation has made her forget 
how to socialise and flirt, not to mention the question of where they'd go, thanks to the endless closures of queer spaces. Even the block of flats she has just moved into is on the spot where a now demolished gay bar once sat. What hit me most was when she was discussing her relationship with her father. We never talked about it, about me. I know he knows, but he never asks me, and I never say. It's kind of a weird way to live. Having her own space in her first partially in flat is so important for her to be able to thrive, and I get that. Of course, I'm still learning. As one of the first in my own circle to come out, people often assume I've got my bleep together, and I've had friends sigh with relief when I've told them I'm still figuring things out. Opinions on labels can change on the daily, and I tend to alternate between referring to myself as bi and queer, though I do feel loyal to the definition of bisexuality as being attracted to more than one gender, rather than two genders. Don't at me. I choose this word over pansexual, I'm sure plenty of people will argue against my definition of this as being attracted to people regardless of gender identity. But for me personally, often gender, or more specifically, gender presentation, does have something to do with attraction. I love androgyny, for instance. But otherwise, labels to me are a free-for-all depending on how I'm feeling. I've also been thinking more about what my future family as a queer person might look like. Shows like The Fosters, which explores the lives of lesbian mums, Steph and Lena, and their family of biological, fostered and adopted children, as well as its spin-off Good Trouble, have been helpful for that. And when it comes to monogamy, I reconsidered everything I thought I knew after seeing Eva by Ruby Thomas, a really intelligent play about modern love, which is written to allow for any gender pairings, on stage or in your head as you read, and therefore seemingly endless relationship possibilities with the same characters, named A and B, speaking from different bodies, essentially. I've also looked to gender-fluid and polyamorous actor Nico Tortorella, who stars in Younger and The Walking Dead, and speaks very eloquently on the topic. It's evident the lockdown gave a lot of people the chance for self-reflection and the space to think more about gender, myself included. Musician-actor Kat Cunning from the Netflix show Trinkets, who is both femme-presenting and non-binary further opened my eyes to the fact that gender identity and gender expression are not one and the same, and I've recently started to feel my way through using she-they pronouns and seeing how comfortable they make me. That's the first time I've said that out loud. And on the note of my fresh coming out, stay tuned for Queeriversary Part 2, coming to a podcast platform near you in 2022. Who knows how my thoughts on identity may have shifted by then. In the meantime, I'd love to hear about the culture that helped shape you. Get in touch at Queer We Go Pod on Instagram and Twitter.